and welcome to the To Mom podcast. My name is Valerie Probstfeld. Please join me as we encourage mothers to live their verb while also practicing self-grace. The goal of this podcast is to promote love as an action and live life more authentically. Just think about it. In five generations from now, you will have approximately 30 descendants and the number keeps getting larger and larger. We have more power as moms than we realize. Motherhood, in my opinion, is the most important job in the world. We recently went to a Holly celebration, which is a festival of color. I discovered Holly is based off of Indian mythology. During these festivities, one tosses a bag of color or their worries into the wind. On this sunny day, a rainbow of hues filled the air and it was joined with music and joyful noise. And there were children and adults all playing together, either sprinkling the color on each other or downright just throwing it at each other in their backs or in their faces even. Um, And it just dispersed into the air quickly once it was thrown. And actually each shade of these colors are meant to symbolize something. I looked up uh, yellow means peace and happiness, blue is calm, green is new beginnings, and pink is playfulness. And uh, I wrote about this on my most recent blog post, so if you want more details on that, um, check it out. But I wanted to talk a little bit more about play in this podcast. Um, So how did I really embrace that pink playfulness? Um, During all this mess and fun, I really did feel like a playful, cheerful child along with my children. And how important is play? We know that play is important to children. It's the hallmark of childhood. But it turns out as grownups, as adults, it's pretty darn important as well. Studies show playfulness helps our brain growth and neuroplasticity. It also decreases stress levels, increases endorphins, and improves our overall quality of life. Play is perhaps one of the most underrated gold mines of our constant pursuit of happiness out there. And speaking of pursuing happiness, why do we say pursuit of happiness? I mean, it's even in the Declaration of Independence, uh, the pursuit of happiness. It always seems to be just outside of our reach, just outside of our grasp. I believe it was Ron Siegel in his book that um, made that point. And if if it was not him and you're aware it was a different person who said that, let me know. Um, But I, when I read that, I'm like, gosh, that really is true. Like we, how do we become more present as opposed to this pursuit? Um, How do we live in the moment more? Which play really does help us do that. Uh, Play also allows for more flexible thinking and for learning. Now, I first learned about the importance of this topic uh, through a fascinating parenting course I took, which was led by a fellow Yale alumni, Dr. Kenneth Barish. Now, Dr. Barish is a child psychologist at Cornell University, and he's author of Pride and Joy. He discusses, and he discussed in this course, the importance of play in children. And his book is fantastic. I encourage you to check it out if you are not familiar. Um, Now, for example, he states, if a child's block tower falls, 
they have to work with feelings of disappointment or frustration and try again. Um, and that that's a learning process, right? They have to work through those feelings. Um, or when they're on the playground, how hard is too hard when you're doing that kind of rough and tumble play? When you're, when you're playful and you may push a little too hard or maybe uh, increasing patience when you're waiting to take a turn or how do you win gracefully and um, not brag about it um, and be more graceful when winning? So all these type of things our children, our children are learning when they're playing. They're important social and emotional regulation skills. And it also allows our kids to learn critical thinking and improve or work their imaginations. Now, Stanford neuroscientist and podcaster Andrew Huberman states, this is also the case for adults. Play in adults allows us to ponder different alternatives, thinking outside of the box and for exploration. In other words, it decreases rigid thinking and, and helps us investigate other approaches. So it's really like uh, similar to what the kids are doing. We are learning how to critically think outside of our uh, previously ingrained thoughts if we allow ourselves to work on that through play, through what Andrew Huberman says as a low stakes environment. So if the stakes are too high, he points out, then it's a bit, um, then your adrenaline, your epinephrine kind of comes into play and you're more competitive. So that's not really the play he refers to. It's more of this low stakes, um, just learning, just having fun type of experience. So kind of like a grown up block tower, if my response to Matt was not the best response, what can I say next time for better results when we um, have a, a disagreement. So when my figurative black tower comes crashing down because I didn't say something in a, in a great tone, next time I can work on that tone um, and, and work on that. So that's an example of like me as an adult. Um, I mean, play, we think of play as like, um, you know, playing sports, throwing ball, but really play is, Kind of working out different way, different approaches, like how these how kids do on the playground. Like if I said something that made someone upset, how do I do it different the next time? So again, similar in adults. So in child psychology, there is an idea of the zone of proximal development by psychologist Lev Vokoski, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, let me know in the comments if I'm not. Um, this zone is a space. A child learns something new with help. In other words, something slightly past what they already know. I imagine this as a stepping stone across a creek. Um, there may be a little assistance required in order to get to the next stone, but with help, the child will likely be successful crossing the water. Now, I believe this also can apply can be applied for adults. I may not know how to fix a leaky faucet in our bathroom, um, but with assistance, um, being taught how to do it, reading up on it, I can push myself a bit past that comfort zone. It's kind of, I think, similar to exercise. Like when I'm running, 
um, the first day I run, I may not be able to get to two miles as easily, but if I keep at it and run again a few days later and run again, then that two, two miles becomes easier and then I can get to three miles and um, so on and so forth. So Vokoski emphasized that in play, kids learn about rules, when to delay gratification and let others have a turn in make-believe and imaginative scenarios. So if we don't experience these things as children, we may not know how to regulate our emotions as well in adulthood or be as malleable in social situations. And that just means, because like for me, for example, I don't think I had as much play as a child um, compared to my peers. So I just have to work more on it as an adult. And it may not be, you know, easy, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. I just keep working on it. I keep um, that those low stake practice environments like that Andrew Huber, Huberman was talking about. Um, so I think that's important because a lot of times I feel like um, so many articles and uh, just a lot of things out there these days say, oh, if, if, if your childhood was lacking something, then here's what you're at risk for for an adult. Well, it's like, okay, that's great. I guess I'm at risk for X, Y, and Z because my childhood was lacking some things. But what do I do with that information? And I think once I learned about neuroplasticity and how I can keep practicing, I can keep growing my brain, it opened up so much more possibility for me because it's like I'm not doomed to my childhood. I can keep growing. I can keep practicing and getting better and um, getting more malleable with my social skills, getting more... Um, uh, uh, or I guess get, having less rigid thinking. Um, so I want to encourage you with that if you had those type of experiences in your childhood um, as well. And so on an interesting note, when I was re researching this episode, I found out many animals laugh, which, you know, we know chimps uh, laugh and that's kind of ob more obvious, like we can see it. It's similar to our human laughter. Um, however, other animals uh, laugh, so we just can't um, hear it, actually. In fact, researchers discovered at least 65 species can laugh, including dogs, dolphins, and birds. Now, the momentum on this research um, and this discovery really got started with neuroscientist Jock Ponskeep, where he discovered rats laugh. The laugh, like many other animals, is at a higher pitch. Uh, again, so humans can't hear it, but you can, you know, um, if you have help with um, certain devices. Um, so Panskeep discovered when they are tickled, they laugh. So these rodents exhibit playful behaviors to prompt more tickling. A rat who likes the tickling obtains more by laughing again and pretend biting. So kind of similar to my dog. I'm not sure if you're if it's picking up her barks right now. She's barking at something outside. Um, so my dog, she um, when she wants to play, she'll kind of come come up to me more, or she'll put a ball or the ball in her mouth. She'll put on my lap, or even like with my kids, if they want to play and I'm typing an email, they'll come up to me, um, and, you know, sit on my shoulders or something. Um, so science writer Mary Bates points out the rat's enjoyment of this activity depends on their temperaments. 
So some rats don't enjoy tickling as much as some of the other rats do. The ones that do not like it seem to have a more anxious temperament. Similarly, a study by Rigula and all observed rats who laughed showed more optimism. And this got me thinking, am I an anxious rat? I do not particularly go out of my way to play often. I mean, I play with my kids, but for myself, not really. And when I'm too caught up in my thoughts, playfulness is the first thing to go, which apparently should be one of the things to stay. Uh, maybe I need my own stepping stones to cross this water, that my own zone of proximal development to increase my playfulness response. So neuroscientists, um, Again, Andrew Huberman, I think I referred to him a couple of times. He has a really interesting play podcast. Um, he points out that um, during play, there's endogenous opioids that are produced um, by our own body. So um, by our nervous system, it's essentially like a, a brain-made happy drug. So when we are in this play, that's produced more and we feel more joy. Picasso once said, the first half of life is learning to be an adult, and the second half of life is learning to be a child. And I think that's so appropriate. When I allow myself to play, my inner child is released. And I talk about that a little bit in my blog. I believe we all have an inner child who lives inside us. And my inner child, little Valerie with you know, blonde braids, um, she sometimes um, tries to come out. And when I feel something deep down, I believe it is my inner child trying to speak. Um, she wants to be heard, but is unsure how to turn up the volume. And sometimes my inner child may not be strong enough or feel safe enough to come out. Um, and when I realize she's there, she's trying to talk, I try to listen now, now that I know she exists. I slowly try to become reacquainted. Um, when she previously was locked up in her internal box, um, she kind of sat in her bedroom um, of the past, right? Um, for many years, I wanted to find myself. But once I learned about this inner child um, idea, it really made me realize that I have an inner child who lives with me all along. I was there all along. I didn't, I didn't need to find her, she was there. And I believe every adult has an inner child. And I encourage us all to become reacquainted with our inner child and bring that inner child out to play with your kids. It, it makes life so, so much more, um, for me at least, enjoyable to live in the present with that inner child. So let us extend a hand of support to them and be a loving parent to our inner child if, if they need it. Give them a hug. Sometimes um, that may require some professional help or support, but the journey to self-love is worth it. So on another topic, uh, or I guess a similar topic, um, now that it, it's now uh, it's April, full-blown spring, yellow dandelions pop up from the growing grass. And do you like or not like dandelions? Like I know Matt doesn't really care for them, but I love them. I think they're so cool. Again, this whole inner child thing, playing with our kids. I think it's the epitome of childhood, a symbol of innocence, and our kids pick them with such a light in their eyes. They blow them into the wind with wonder, and they, 
they kind of like fade as fast as they bloom. Like when my kids give them to me, I feel like they kind of just shrivel up very quickly afterwards. But for that moment, it really is a precious moment of the giving of the dandelion. Um, so Anita Sanchez states that dandelion is perhaps the hardiest plant in the world. And I believe they are one of the most underrated flowers out there. I was surprised to learn this inconspicuous blossom was highly regarded for many centuries. So actually it really was just recently that we've become to not like them. Um, the dandelion, uh, back in the day, it was used for food healing and also believed to have magical powers. In fact, in the past, people would weed other plants to make space for these dandelions. So really it wasn't until like the 20th century when yards became more of a thing that it sunk in popularity and was dubbed a weed. So uh, the dandelion was also a cherished part of European gardens and likely intentionally traveled with the pilgrims. Um, there's also many writings back in the day dedicated to this bloom and it was used for a variety of medicinal purposes and still used today by some herbalists. Um, in fact, its dry fruits are one of the pricier products at a grocery store, which is interesting that that's pricey, but we see them all over the place right now in the spring. Um, it is said to have a variety of nutrients that likely helped individuals in the past combat nutritional def deficiencies. And they also help fertilize a lawn and are extremely flexible with deep down roots that can reach 15 feet. So when you are walking around and you see these little yellow flowers, um, I feel like they deserve a little bit more of appreciation and just think about kind of all, all of uh, what in the past it was used for. Um, so, you know, I just like to really appreciate, this is part of me living in the moment, like noticing the flowers and the springtime and other ones that are in bloom, like tulips, daffodils, and budding white, purple, and light green blooms from the trees. I encourage you to get outside and you know, take a walk and really just kind of look at nature and see see all of these um, these blooms and flowers for what they are right now. Um, listen to the birds chirping. It really, um, for me at least, helps me live in the present and be in a state of happiness as opposed to a pursuit of happiness. So uh, just a funny story as I wrap up here. Uh, a couple years ago, speaking of spring, I had a robin build its nest on my floral front door wreath. It decided it'd be a great, great little home for its eggs. And at first it was really neat. The kids and I like realized there was a nest at our front door. There were two little blue robin eggs in the nest. And so we kept checking on the progress, but then one day I think the mom Robin realized we were consistently checking on her eggs. So she started making these really, really loud sounds. And um, you know, at first I was like, oh my, she doesn't like it. But I think it was either the next day or the following day, we went back and the sounds were so loud that I'm like, we need to get out of here. So I had my two older kids, like they had a stepping stool to try to see it. Um, and I just took them and went back inside, but I forgot that stepping stool. So the kids were like, oh, we need to go get it. So I said, well, let me, let me go out there because that robin is really upset. I'll get the stool. And the robin did not know I was just getting the stool. She thought I was coming back out for another look at those eggs. And she swooped down into my 
face. And it was so scary. I have like a, uh, our little video camera shows a picture of it. I'll have to find that sometime and post it if I can find it. Um, but anyway, I screamed and dropped the damn stool that I was trying to get and like ran back inside. And the kids thought it was hilarious. Um, so it, it was just a funny story. Eventually, you know, we got, it was fine. And, and um, I think the mom eventually came to realize that we weren't gonna harm her babies. Like I took pictures more far away after this event, but of like the little, birds getting fed by the mom. It was super cute. Um, of note, I think the robins talk to each other because we have not had a nest on that wreath since. Um, but it's just a funny thing where it, it really shows that like all of us in this world are more similar than we realized. I mean, the, I would be doing the same thing as this robin did if I had eggs. Like I would be this mama bird or like a mama bear we're all just trying to protect our kids and um you know so we really are again more similar than we realize human bird bear or apparently even a rat so thank you for tuning in today be sure to subscribe to my newsletter and for more ideas and to stay up to date thanks y'all